You're listening to the Grossed Out Podcast with Rob Gross. It's me. I'm Rob Gross. Welcome to another episode of the Grossed Out Podcast. I am your host, Rob Gross. Today, I am joined by Erez Barnea, uh, a buddy of mine that we have met through the wonderful world of Instagram, through uh, mutual respect and love of, of similar bands and just not being an asshole. And uh, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to do his podcast, the See You Next Tuesday podcast, which I'll tag at the end of the episode. I was uh, uh, yeah. thankful enough to do that uh, a few weeks back. That is out right now on Spotify, Apple, wherever else you listen to your podcast and now kind of returning it, having him here to talk about the man, the myth, and the legend of Dave Grohl. So let me uh, run you through a couple of things about Erez. He was born in the USSR and raised mm-hmm. in Israel. Music was always a part of his life, whether it was his parents' record collection, his first electric guitar, that which he bought at the age of 12, or the acoustic guitar he traveled around with during his military service in the IDF. Writing came to Erez as a way to deal with his PTSD after his service. His music is a blend of his favorite musicians and bands, through Bob Dylan and Tom Petty to the 90s rock bands like Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Pearl Jam. Brutally honest, like a true Israeli, Erez welcomes you to join his ride. It's going to be an amazing trip, and I fucking love that last paragraph. <laughs> Erez, welcome to the Grossed Out Podcast. What's up? Hello. Hello, dude. How's it going? It's so, it's so strange to hear my personal bio i obviously wrote it i don't have like a ghostwriter right right <laughs> but it's so strange to hear somebody else read it out loud oh man i had to write because like for you know i've i've had one several times that i've always had to write myself which is like the, it's right. literally like the shittiest thing to do because you're like <laughs> i'm trying to promote myself or the company or brand i work for by talking right. about myself in the third person it's the weirdest thing and i've done it I, I, yeah, I, I, and you're trying not to come out as a douche. Totally. But you still want to like you you want to be like you don't want to be too shy about it. I don't know. Right, you want to be like, strange. well, you know, he's kind of good at this and he's kind of good at that. <laughs> and, you, you know, it might not have been the best decision to have him on your panel. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, but I, I recently did it for. Um, I was supposed to be on a panel for South by Southwest this year, and I was supposed to be a mentor to a bunch of um, like up and coming kids in the business, and I was oh, so wow. stoked to do it, and then. That all obviously didn't happen, and um, but I that so I I have one too, which is the one that I think I sent you or sent to somebody else, and it was so you, you sent me something, yeah, you sent something my way. So strange to hear that back to me. <laughs> uh, but man, I'm stoked to have you on. Um, you know, Thank it, you. It, it's I know how big of a of a Nirvana fan you are, and we obviously got into it about you know, uh, you know, with, with your love of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and, and that mm-hmm. whole scene when I was on your podcast, but you were very specific in wanting to talk about Dave Grohl as a, as a, as an artist, his body of work and his projects and his bands. And yep. that's super intriguing, especially with somebody of your background and where you've come from and your story. And I think it's just, it's going to give a whole, it might not, but I, 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 I <laughs> but I'm stoked because I'm curious to hear what your perspective is and how you came to kind of discover his music. Like walk me through how this all came to be. Well, I'm going to backtrack and start with like how I chose specifically Dave because yeah. As a singer-songwriter, I obviously have a lot of like influence from other musicians I grew up listening to. And when you ask me to choose the artist/band I want to talk about, immediately three names came up in mind it was bob dylan because bob dylan taught me how to fucking write songs like Mm. nobody writes like bob dylan and chris cornell obviously because for me he's the 
all-time greatest vocalist. Mm -hmm. Yes, agree. And, and the third name that popped into my head was actually Nirvana, because that's my all-time favorite band. But when I sat with myself, I was like, I cannot like walk away from the Foo Fighters, and I cannot walk away from Queens of the Stone Age, and I can't like, and definitely at the place I'm at right now as a musician, Dave Grohl is very there. If it's like his writing, if it's his work ethic, if it's just the way he puts himself out there and presents himself to other people, like he's the nicest guy in rock and roll, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Truly. So yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty easy call to get to that. <laughs> yeah, man. That's awesome. That, that that's um, it, it's really cool because I I took a lot of influence from him as well because I grew up a drummer and then mm -hmm. ended up ended up fronting hardcore bands and singing in bands not because I was a good singer. I, I mean, I was fine, I guess, but <laughs> but it was because I hated loading in shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I really I really like being being in the front, and I think that um, I did a little bit of that before. Um, before the Foo Fighters, and I was really young, and then I think once I saw that Dave could do it, and I read an interview, I'm sure, I mean, I, I think things might have changed since then, but he couldn't read or write music, he plays by feel, and I think that might have he changed. He still says that, he yeah. still says that it's the only, like, only feel, he doesn't know how to read chords and shit like that. Which is incredible, and I'm the yep. same way, because as a drummer, it's like, I, I, I hate reading music, and I, I think it's, it's a skill that just kind of left I, I it left me in the dust so it's like it's like <laughs> math to me so i yeah. I, I pulled so much influence from him as a musician just like well shit he did it and not that i'm dave Grohl by any stretch of the imagination but it's like he gave hope that like okay you sat behind the kit and now you're in the front and you've started this whole other path it's quite remarkable yep definitely no and i me myself i mean i can if, if i go to ultimate guitar i can read the chords I cannot read like tabs or notes and shit like that. I right. always like play just like that. But for him, the interesting thing he says is the way he learned how to play guitar is equivalent to drumming. So like he would like strum the the way he strums the guitar is like he explains it as like the a drum kit or oh, something I like that. I get that too. I mean, like definitely when I play a bit, like I don't know what chord I'm hitting or whatever, but it, <laughs> but but if it, if, it, if it feels good then it sounds good to me because you're like he's probably playing he plays with more of a groove like he can get funky exactly. and i think that that there's a lot that's overlooked about you know specifically i would say the later era foo fighter records mm -hmm. where he's I, I wouldn't even say i would say it started probably more in the mid period era like one by one where he okay. maybe it was the influence of being in queens taking that and then there are some jams on those records where the it's all about feel and it's all about the riff yep. and um I, I just love that and i'm super stoked for the new foo fighters album that's gonna yeah. come out because he says it's gonna be very like funky i mean shame shame is just like when, when i i saw them uh premiere that on snl and i i was just blown away like i just it's it's got to be so hard at this point for them to kind of put something out that blows people's minds outside of just the fan base. Probably the yeah. same for, for Pearl Jam too, right? Yep. Um, although, as we discussed, Pearl Jam made sort of a, I don't think to everybody, but I think to the real <laughs> fans, they definitely made a comeback record this year. A hundred percent. Hundred yeah. percent. We needed that. We they they could they couldn't go over th oh three over the last three records. Yeah. Dude, but the first time I heard Shame Shame, I, I didn't I didn't see that live performance yet. I just heard it on like Spotify, 
And I was like, I wasn't sure. Because it, it sounds very strange. It's a strange song. It, it does is. not sound like a... I mean, it does sound like a Foo Fighters song, but there's like weirdness to it. But once I listen more and more and I watch it performed live, I was like, oh, damn, okay, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Well, it's got that big hook, but it it's it's weird. And there's something that I like when bands take these risks like this. Like, what do they have to lose? Exactly. They got nothing. Like, if Foo Fighters put out a record and it bombs, quote unquote, do they get dropped? No. Do they, Ooh. like, not sell out their arena tours when touring's back? Of course <laughs> not. Like, it's they literally can do whatever they want. And there's yep. got, there's there's got to be some artistic freedom on top of the freedoms here he and they already feel. That's got to be a great place to be. Yeah, and that's that's also show to show you how good of an like a band they are. They try to explore. They don't try to sound the same. Every every record they did the last decade, they try to do something different. Oh yeah, like wasting wasting light. They build a fucking garage and uh, like a garage studio in Dave's house. Right, and then. Uh, what was it? Sonic Highways. They did this whole like recording in different states and shit like that. Yeah. They and just explore. They keep exploring, and it it sounds rad. So um, yeah. And I I really like the last record too. It, it was a strong record. Oh, dude, yeah. Super Con- good. Concrete and Gold was was good. That was yeah. a good record. Well, I think so. So I mean, okay. So explain to me. So where? So where were you? So you know, I guess explain to me. Like, how old are you? Where? And then. How old were you when you discovered? I would assume Nirv- was it Nirvana first for you? Nirvana, yeah, Nirvana was the first uh, love. Yeah. <laughs> because here, here's what happened. Did I talk about it? I think I told you on my podcast. I'm obviously going to say it here too. But it was 1995. I want to say Kurt probably already died, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But cable TV just became a thing in Israel and. MTV Israel became a thing. And I was six years old, grabbed the remote, flipping through the channels, and I land on MTV. I like like watching MTV because there's a bunch of videos. And Beavis and Butthead, like funny of characters course, and shit, you course. know? <laughs> but then when I land on MTV that specific day, I hear that guitar riff, that... Probably the most recognizable guitar riff of all time for me. And... Then you hear the drums, the just mind blown. And I was like six years old. I'm like, what the hell is this? (laughs) I was jumping up and down, man. And honestly, dude, when I put this record, when I put Nevermind uh, on my record player for Dylan, he jumps up and down too. It just, it fills your body, man. It's just insane, insane uh, piece of work. That's my all time favorite record. Well, Still, I mean, that's you know that that was another question I have for you um, when it came to Nirvana specifically because I know look it's like when there's a lot of similarities in a way to the Doors and Nirvana at least you know in my kind of fucked up hmm. patterns of thinking where you have this band that really only had seven years and they right. really only had five years of actual recording not even because he was gone by april of 94 mm-hmm. the doors are very similar there was like 67 to 70 and they they piled all this music in but nirvana really only had the three studio albums i mean it's aside and then you know that there's other you know with the lights out and all that kind of shit yeah okay? so it's like 
it's really one or the other. Like I, people that say they love Bleach, I'm sure they're. I love Bleach, but like when you when you have Nirvana and In Utero follow it up, you could tell what got them to where they how where they needed to get. And mm-hmm. I can tell you because I was 11 when Smells Like Teen Spirit came out, and wow. I was still figuring out my way. Like I liked. I like some weird shit, but I also like like Def Leppard and White Snake and you know Poison and all that shit. And it wasn't that riff changed everything. When people say that, it's no exaggeration. Mm-hmm. That that riff literally changed the entire world. It changed the song, of course, but the riff. That riff changed fucking everything. And when Dave's drums kicked in, I don't think I, I think it's just as pivotal. That that opening fill is just as pivotal as the riff itself. Because it, the whole world was turned upside down in like it felt like twenty four hours. Yeah, dude. And for me, the drums that Dave Grohl had on Nevermind and In Utero, they're way up there, pretty close to like Bonham and and Keith Moon. Oh, That's yeah. for like it's it was mind blowing, dude. Yeah, like sure. nobody played that fucking violin, and it became mainstream. Like everybody, fucking jocks would listen to Nirvana, you know. Well, well, that that became a big part of the problem. But yeah, <laughs> but 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 totally. I mean, look, like he, I think Bonham is a great great example, especially like on In Utero, like his drumming on like Scentless Apprentice and Milk It and Very Ape and Tourette's. I mean, like no, like they. First of all, the recording that Steve Albini did for that record. Wow, dude. It's just like, that's the like. I don't see how he could have done any better. Like, it's just, <laughs> and and you know, Nirvana get becoming as big as they were. It, it was like a gateway thing. Like you had Dave who had this street cred because of Scream in the punk and hardcore circles, mm-hmm. and then you had you know obviously like what you know you had Kurt and, and that was a voice of a generation or you know the the, the poet or the, the the he was the poster boy for our generation, which we had yes. a ton of them, but. It, it was like they had the credibility that a lot of other bands kind of had to build to get, and they had it baked in already, which is incredible. And then it didn't hurt having, you know, Dale Crover from the Melvins play on early recordings and Chad Channing and getting yeah. the Melvins signed to Atlantic Records. And it's just, it, it was a wild time, man. It was really Dude, there were a three a three-piece band, and they make so much noise. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so- mind-blowing, dude so much noise and and it's like he's his drumming and then later i think i think they started figuring out that shit this dude can write and mm-hmm. is great for harmonies and cuz the kurt was obviously a you know a beatles guy and having dave he he fit into that harmonization with kurt i think as kurt was still learning to use his voice melodically towards the yeah. end dave just sat under it like you, you really see it on on unplugged you really see the talent that what dave brought to the band if you hadn't seen it up to that point you really got like a light shone on it that night yeah it really started in i think in in utero you can hear him a little mm-hmm. bit more like sure. i think he harmonizes with him on all apologies and stuff yes. like that like perfectly totally. that song still it's one of my favorite nirvana song i actually i got more into in utero the past couple of years, because I was like, oh, never mind, this is fucking, you know, a banger of an album. Right. But to think that after Nevermind, they come up with an album like In Utero, it's such a badass move. Oh, totally. Everybody were expecting, like, Nevermind number two, you know, it's hit me with the bangers. Fucking, right. you know. I and mean, 
Yeah. You know, it was it was crazy too, and like, it, and I, you know, I, it was a failure. It was a commercial failure. Mm-hmm. So it did sell a couple million records, but when you you're coming off the cusp of Nevermind, you know, like when I think they expected because when Pearl Jam came off of Ten, they dropped verses that had, up until In Sync's Bye Bye, the second In Sync record. Pearl Jam sold 977,000 copies of Versus first week. So I think that it wasn't until like Vitology where the label was like, oh, we're fucked. (laughs) But with Nirvana, it was right away. It was right away. Because like, you're you're right. I think the label totally expected to get a a Nevermind 2 because why wouldn't they? That's that's a major label thing to do to expect. (laughs) And and then they were given, they're like, no, we want to work with Steve Albini. And I'm sure the label was like, well, fuck. And, And, you know, like Penna Royalty was a single. That didn't work. And... Heart Shaped Box obviously did, but I mean, All Apologies was definitely going to be another single. They were probably going to keep working the record. And, you know, what's what's crazy to me is that when you hear Dave's, like you said, his influence starting to shine through on In Utero, when you start hearing what he was playing on You Know You're Right and the songs that, that, that made up like that final, final session in January 94... Like, and Marigold, he actually sings. Yeah, and Marigold. And I think that's the only Nirvana song that he actually sings the whole song. That is correct. So it's like yeah. there was so much potential. If the band didn't implode, I wonder what would have happened. I still think, hot take here, mm-hmm. I still think that the Foo Fighters would have existed because I don't know how much longer Nirvana would have gone. Interesting. Yeah, because I know that Kurt wanted to take a break to work on an album with Michael Stipe from R.E.M. He did, and he had already right? started working on... He was, he was going to work on a record with Michael Stipe because Michael was like... He had kind of baited him, like, hey, he knew he was not doing well. And he was like, mm-hmm. hey, we should make a record together because he knew how much he loved and respected R.E.M. Right. And then at the same time, Kurt was going to record a full album of Lead Belly covers with Mark Lanigan, which... Some what? Of, yeah, and some of that shit is on the With the Lights Out box set, but that was going to be... So, I, like, I fully believe, just like I believe that Mother Love Bone would have imploded anyway, and Pearl mm-hmm. Jam... I, I don't know if Pearl Jam would have happened, but the, Mother Love Bone was probably going to make one more record and be done, and I feel that Nirvana probably was going to make one more record and be done. So I think that Dave would have made the Dave would have made the jump to be a front man Maybe not in the same shape or form, but I think that it would have happened regardless. I can, yeah, I think, I think I agree, man. I think, I, I'm pretty sure Kurt would have fucking went solo. Yeah. And maybe they'll do like a Nirvana reunion every now and then just to please somebody. But like, I, I, I can agree. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insanity, man. Like it's, it was so big and that, and you could tell they were all like not happy, you know? And I think that there's, especially with Dave, I mean, obviously, especially with Kurt, but I mean, with, with Dave, I think it gets overshadowed a lot because he was such a hardcore punk kid Mm -hmm. and he was still so young. Like what would Dave was 21 on Nevermind, 2021, something like that. So like he just. To, to, to get all that wealth and fame and, and adoration because, I mean, he was making, like, Modern Drummer, Drummer of the Year. He was, mm-hmm. like, getting all these accolades. And he's like, I'm just a kid from D.C. <laughs> that has a shitty, like, punk band. So, like, I think to him, 
it was probably, you know, I think that probably gets overshadowed a lot, like what he was going through. And I, I'd imagine that that first Foo Fighters record was like kind of a way out for him. And, and mm-hmm. I don't think he had any idea how fucking big it would get. No, not at all. But honestly, I think out of all three of them, he, I think he took the whole fame thing pretty easily. Oh, yeah. Kurt obviously fucking collapsed from it. Like, Kurt wa- wanted to be, like, a medium-level band and not, you know, not fucking fill up stadiums. I'm sure he would have been happy to just perform at bars and shit for the rest of his life. I f- probably. I think he would have become some sort of, like, Dylan-esque kind of troubadour. Yeah. But with, with Dave, I think he just handles it in a way... Or at least, you know, forward-facing handles it in a way that's just something else. I mean, and I, I think... When, you know, so 95 and the first Foo Fighters record, the I'll Stick Around video comes out and it's, mm-hmm. that's, it, it's very Nirvana-ish, you know, it's like pop. Oh, 100%. That guitar riff definitely sounds like totally. and, and, continuation and it, of Nirvana. Exactly. And it, and, it, and it builds off that soft, loud kind of Pixies mm-hmm. dynamic that Nirvana kind of perfected. And it was like, okay, cool. So it, I, I can't tell if he did that by design like he knew this is going to be like because that song and this is a call definitely harken back to nirvana 100 percent. and then big me was like the big pop hit that broke him out yeah that was like the more like the signet trying to signature sound of foo fighters and that that silly video mm-hmm. like all the goofiness that they're gonna continue to do throughout their career and but still, yeah i'll stick around dude you know you know who that song is about I don't actually. You don't know who I'll stick around is about. Maybe it's about, it's about Courtney. It's about Courtney. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I just figure everything's yeah. about Courtney. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I figured it was. I mean, God, there's so much shit that was going on about her Jesus. and Billy Corgan and him, like sleeping with him to make the whole record happen. Like, it's just a mess, man. And like, you can believe what you want to believe, but I'm happy that he had like sort of a clean break after that. You know. Yeah. I mean, stuff stuff went ugly between them, but was it, it mostly wasn't on his side. I'm she sure. kept she kept trying to drag him in. I'm sure you know? she did. Yeah. Oh man. But like, so so with that, so how did that happen for you? Did you was that you know because you were still really young? So was that how it came, you discovered? Dude, so I got into the Foo Fighters way later. Oh okay. So I think I don't remember what year it was. It was a movie with Jim Carrey, me, myself, and Irene. I think it was 2000 or 2001. You remember that? That he has like a, a split personality? Yes, yes. One it... of the songs from the soundtrack was Break Out. That's right. And there right. was a video of Dave Grohl having like a split personality. And I remember watching that video again on MTV. And I'm like, this guy looks familiar. How does he look familiar? And then I'm like, fuck, that's a drummer for Nirvana. Right. This is the same guy. And then I got into the Foo Fighters and I'm like, shit, this is so fucking good. Yeah. He can be a front man. And I did not go through that whole phase. I think if I was old enough throughout Nirvana, I would probably go through that whole phase of like, oh, so now he's a front man. Right. You know, because a lot of Nirvana fans went through that. And I think still, my producer back in Israel, uh, 
his all-time favorite band is Nirvana, and he still kind of holds a little grudge to Dave Grohl. Oh, man. I mean, I yeah. get it. Like, I was fortunate enough to see the Foo Fighters on the Color and the Shape tour. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, and, and uh, yo, man, you, you, you're going to hate me for this. So it was, Jesus in, it was Christ. in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I, I grew up in this town called Coral Springs, and um, the, it was in 97, and they played at the Edge, which was where, like, all the local big bands played and my band played there at one point on like the outer edge, the outside patio. And like, but it was like a rite of passage in South Florida. Like if you can fill up, you know, a, a 800, a 600, 800 cap room. Oh my God. So that's what it was. And I got to tell you, man, it fucking sucked. Like Dave still didn't have control of his voice. So it kept breaking. His voice kept cracking. Maybe it was a bad night, but I'd also seen footage of them later on on that tour and it was just as bad so i think that he didn't know yet how to kind of like truly sing and how to like you know use your diaphragm and all the things you learn over time like hey i don't don't sing you don't sing from your throat and all the things that you don't learn being a fucking hardcore kid (laughs) or being a drummer in a punk band you know so like it's it it was great and it was like i want to say so taylor hawkins had just joined the band full time and then it was still nate mendel and god the other dude from sunny day real estate who quit uh, oh shit uh pete stall okay yeah 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 yeah, he was in that band wool too uh i worked a record of theirs years later um but it was it was it was fucking cool and it was packed out obviously because they were already a big band but i guess he wanted to keep the touring he wanted to do like underplays and Mm -hmm. um yeah, it wasn't a great show, but I'm I'm at least stoked that I got to see it. You know, you bro, that's part of history. Wait, Pat Smear wasn't there yet. Right? Pat Pat Smear was not there yet. I don't think. When did he fully join? I don't remember when he fully joined the band, but it was not yet. He did back and forth with them. He was after. I think he's on the Big Me video. He is because remember I, he was the, the guitarist for Nirvana on the last tour. He was, and I can't. Maybe he was there. I don't know. It always annoyed me. Pat Smear always annoyed me because it's like, no, this is a trio. Get the fuck out. Nobody. But I didn't realize that he was like a legend. And now, like uh, all these years later, I, I when we were able to go out and do things, I've run into Pat many times. And this is not like a wow. bougie thing. Like I've run into him at the Moroccan. I ran into him at some Canadian party when I was running this Canadian label. Like I've run into him multiple times. So we know each other now. He is the nicest guy. And now I feel bad. Like. Like, that I, th- I thought he sucked for so many years because, like, I didn't give a fuck about the germs. I don't care what crap. Right. I was a kid. I'm like, Nirvana's three people. Hard stop. Yep. But, you know, obviously there's, you know, a level of respect that was there, and he probably kept the band going through that final cycle. Yep. But, uh, and obviously Dave likes him because he's in the fucking Foo Fighters, too. Still. Yeah. So, so here, let me ask you something. Across... So okay, so so never mind your favorite record, but mm-hmm. I say when it comes to the Foo Fighters, what's your favorite body of work from that band? Ooh. Or is there a favorite song? I think, or... I, think I think the albums keep changing. Obviously, the color and the shape is is close to perfection. There's just yeah. every track on it. I agree. Um, but also wasting light. Yeah. That album has just banger after banger and ballads and like it just so well produced and they recorded the whole thing on tapes yep they did so you have there's no click there's no nothing like you have to play right otherwise you have to fucking put a new tape totally well i mean look at he found 
it's like I think about this a lot as a as a drummer, where it's like you you you're literally like yes, Taylor Hawkins was in Alanis Morissette's band. He was finding mm-hmm. fame on his own. Cool, great, but like you're you're the drummer to the band fronted by Nirvana's drummer, who's mm-hmm. known for being like the quintessential rock <laughs> drummer of the past three decades, and yep. now like you're the drummer in his band and Taylor Hawkins. I mean, he is fucking great. Like, he's obviously a more proggish kind of drummer when he needs. Taylor to be. is a beast. He's a beast. He, he doesn't get enough credit. I I think he's way up there, like with Dave and all the great drummers. He's just an animal. He is. I mean, well, you got to think of all the people that have had to come after this fucking guy. Like, I, when I was working with Queens of the Stone Age on Lullabies to Paralyze, I didn't realize that. I figured Dave wasn't gonna, you know, because I'd seen some of the shows, and I figured that they were using Joey Castillo, who was like in Danzig and some other bands. Mm-hmm. Um, Joey Castillo is one of the best dr- drummers in rock too. He's in the Bronx. He's fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. And, but he had to follow Dave Grohl as well on what I think is Dave Grohl's best drumming ever is on Songs for the Deaf. That's my favorite Dave Grohl wow. drumming record. I yeah, it's it's up there. I mean, obviously for me, it's never mind. But yeah, sure. that's that's way up there. And also, dude. Them Crooked Vultures. Oh, man. That's a great fucking record. I don't think I've given that record enough enough credit because I went, I had listened to it in a few years, went back to it probably like sometime during COVID, I'd say like September, <laughs> and like was just obsessed with it for a week straight. And fuck, right. that record is so good. So and again, good. A, a, a three piece. Yeah, yeah. It's just insane. It's just insane, man. It's a lot of noise for three dudes again. <laughs> and um, I, I think Josh and Dave work so well together. Yeah, they do. They do. But I mean, like when you, when you like, especially on songs to the deaf, like on like, um, oh, what fucking song is it? Not God is in the radio, but it's the one where there's like all the start stopping and it, it's just, everything's in an odd time signature and it's just so precise. And it's like, that's all Dave. Like I'm, Josh wrote the song, I'm sure, but that's only it's all those fills are only as good as they are because of Dave. Mm-hmm. hundred percent, dude. And I also I remember when they came up with a video for No One Knows, and then you see Dave on the fucking right. drum kit. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Right. And this like before we had like I mean we had internet, but like it was like whatever the internet was weird back then. It wasn't like as accessible, and I didn't like. I come from a broke ass family, so where where were you in that? So two thousand and three, were you where were you still in Israel? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. dude, I only moved here like three and a half years ago. Oh no shit! So yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So were you? Did you learn English in Israel? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And obviously, as a songwriter, it kind of and I sing in English and shit like that. It it came up easier for me. I also speak Russian and Hebrew. Jesus. So, yeah, so when I, when I was two years old, we moved to Israel from the USSR. So basically I had two languages when I was already three years old. So it's it, it basically it's a muscle in your head. And if you keep working it out, you're going to learn. It's going to make it easier for you to learn other languages. Man, I spoke I spoke enough Hebrew to get my bar mitzvah done. And then literally <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm up there singing my Haftorah, as soon as I was done with like my, my you know, with my piece, right. I literally it all just exited my body. Oh, and, my God. No, I'm not even fucking exaggerating. So I, 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 and then you could have pointed me to what I just sang and I wouldn't know how to do it. And so... Yeah, so now I'm on Duolingo learning Italian. So I, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. 
but you're right. I keep trying. But you're right. It's, Dude, just, it's yeah. like playing an instrument. It's 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 a muscle. I, it's I, a muscle. One hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. So, um, have you? So, in all this time, I assume you've seen the Foo Fighters live. Yes. Yeah, I've seen them, but I've only seen them when I moved here. Okay. Like I did. I had a plan to watch them. I think it was two thousand. When did he break his leg? Ooh, 2007, 17 or 18? No, 18, no, dude, Seven. wait. 18 was when they did the first Cal Jam, right? Yes, which... Right, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, cause it, so it was 17, because I... Oh, uh, no, 17 was the first Cal Jam. So he broke his 17. he broke his leg, I want to say 16, because they took like a year break after that, because he did the whole tour on a chair and shit like that. Right, right. I remember I was flying to Nashville. I'm at the airport to go to the show, and... Um, because I was working with the Struts who was, were opening for them. Right. And I, I'm sitting in the, at, at LAX and they're boarding my flight and I see that the show is canceled. I get a text oh. from, from the Struts tour manager and I'm like, well, I mean, I still had to go, but I'm like, I seriously like moved around so much shit because I hadn't seen the Foo Fighters since 97. Oh, wow. So I really wanted to fucking go. And now it's yeah. like, shit, I got free tickets. I'm going to go. <laughs> and then it didn't happen. And then I did go. I, I did get to go to Cal Jam, which was fucking awesome. Both of them were fucking amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I had a plan to go see them live in Europe in one of the festivals. And then he broke his fucking leg. And I'm like, man, I don't want to see him in a chair. I know, I know. I want him running around on stage. But we waited and then... Cal Jam number one happened. It was one of the best nights ever. Yeah, it was great. And I actually got to see them for free. Always good. So before before uh, Cal Jam 18, they did a secret show at the parking lot of the Palladium. That's right. I was supposed to go to that too. And I was dude. Like, oh, it's going to be too packed. Like, dude, I'm old. Like, it's going to be too packed. I'm not going down there. And I, I could have just gotten in. Dude, that was maybe, I don't think there was even a thousand people there. I think it was close to like 500 people. It's amazing. It was like pretty intimate. And like, they they posted, they posted it as like under uh, the holy shits. That's their that's like, right. uh, that's right. um, like secret names. So if you yeah. Google the holy shits, it's going to pop as the Foo Fighters. That's, that's right. only, only fans know about it. So that's mm -hmm. the only people who showed up there. And Chevy Metal opened up. That's Taylor's yep. band. Of course. And then the Foo Fighters played a set, I want to say at least an hour, B-sides only. Like, except for, like, uh, finishing with Everlong, only B-sides throughout the show. And, like, songs they haven't played for years. And I'm, like, so I am was viciously obsessed with buying all the import CD singles when the albums came, especially around, like, the one-by-one one record because there were so many. Like, right. it started with uh, There's Nothing Left to Lose. That's where I really started. Maybe, like, before that because, like, Down in the Park and some other mm -hmm. songs. But I really started to get obsessed with it. So, like, some of my favorite Foo Fighter songs are, like, Fraternity and their cover of <laughs> Darling Nikki. And, like, there's so many good... And, like, they're I love The Obsessed because I'm a huge fan of Stoner Rock. And that's, mm -hmm. like, The Obsessed is, like, the pinnacle. They played uh, they played Cal Jam. Dave got them on the bill. And they their cover of Iron and Stone is fucking incredible. All right, 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 right. So right. like, Jesus. oh, now I'm even more pissed. I didn't go. <laughs> no, dude, that was yeah, that was great. So yeah, I've seen them three times since I moved here. Wow, man, which that's is awesome. pretty insane. And that second Cal, Cal Jam, 
at the very end. Were you there? The I mean, 18 one? I wasn't in town for the second one. Oh, my God. You missed the Nirvana reunion. I know. You know I, that, right? I know. And I, I also missed the Nirvana, <laughs> which you'll hear in the Nirvana episode, which will come out before this. Uh, I also missed the Nirvana actual, not actual, but the, the first Nirvana Nirvana reunion. I was supposed to go to New York. I ended oh, up the not, one with John Jett? Yeah. They did? Yeah. And I'm not saying I could have gotten in, but I was supposed to be in town for that. And then, like, every, you know, plans change. And, and, uh, yeah, they played my buddy's bar. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. yeah. Not great. I mean, great for them. It's fucking <laughs> awesome. Getting Paul McCartney to front, uh, to front Nirvana. It, that does not suck. Jesus Christ. Right. I mean, how amazing is that? And, I, like, it, it's, it's really incredible because you know that you're you're that sacred ground that you're kind of walking across there, and you know there's only a few. How do I put this? You, <laughs> you don't want like I don't want anyone to front Soundgarden. I don't want anyone mm-hmm. to say like, oh well, you know. And again, not the guy's got an incredible voice, but I'm just saying who of modern music is the closest to what Chris can hit. I don't want to see Miles Kennedy front Soundgarden. You know what I'm saying? Like, fine, you can hit the notes, but that's not Soundgarden. No. I I would much rather a band like Soundgarden continue on with, like, Tad Doyle doing Tad Garden and making, like, playing, like, old songs for fun. Or if if they want to keep doing the Nirvana thing and having St. Vincent come in and sing a few songs in the middle of, like, a Foo Fighters set. Super Yeah, dude. That was dope. That whole St. Vincent. Yeah. Dude, but uh, talking about Soundgarden, that whole... uh, Tyler Momsen and Brandy Carlisle singing with Soundgarden. That was mind-blowing oh, on dude. that Chris Cornell tribute night. Jesus Christ. That show was just, I mean, you know, and Taylor, honestly, he was the one that, I, I think of the people that wowed me the most, it was Taylor, his voice, just unfucking believable Dude, and, did I tell you what happened? Hmm, I don't with know. With Taylor? What happened? I saw him the day after that show. He comes to my store. I work at Trader Joe's in Calabasas. Uh, and yes, yes, you did. But, but please, but let, let's then, talk. Like, I spot him, and I'm like, dude, I just saw you last night on stage. What's up? And he's like, so what do you think? You think, you think I, I did good? Like, I, 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 wanted to call, I wanted to call the song the day I try to sing. And I'm like, shut the fuck up, man. Just Come shut on. up, dude. Well, and then I told you, right, that, that that was supposed to be Mike Patton. Right, dude. Like, and that's how I got into the, my my buddy works with Mike and and his manager, and he works. Oh his, he helps run Mike's label, and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I thought so. He gets us into the show, and my wife and I are sitting there, and we're with him and the manager, and you know, Mike. We knew that he wasn't going to make it, but they still got us. I still don't know why he didn't make it, but like Taylor <laughs> no Hawkins knows. was the stand-in, <laughs> and it's like. The guy, it's just insane. And, I, and, and seeing, because we never, I never got to see it in person, but seeing Taylor do, or the, the Foos, but having like Taylor sing Under Pressure, one of the greatest songs of all time, yep. with, with my guy Luke from the Struts live mm-hmm. every night. I mean, that's just such a special moment, you know? And oh, I think, dude, that's, yeah. that's another thing you missed at the, the show, the free show that the Foo Fighters had, is Taylor singing Under Pressure with Dave Grohl and... Um, Roger Taylor on the drums. Jesus Christ! Really? Yeah, yeah, dude. Okay. <laughs> All right, I think I think it's time we move on from this conversation. Oh, oh my god, that's insane! All right, mm-hmm. so, so um, all right, so you know, 
his other projects, we, we, we touched a bit on them Crooked Vultures. We obviously want to get more into the Foo Fighters, but have you spent a lot of time with like the Probot project? Have you listened to that at all? I listened. There it was a, one album, right? Just one album, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty right. And I think Lemmy's on one of the songs, right? Lemmy's on it. I mean, it, it basically what he did was put out a record through Southern Lord, which is like the you know legit, legit doom metal label, and basically said, wow. I, I want to write and perform ten songs, and I want to have. So basically, he wrote a, a song that sounded like Sepultura or Soulfly, and then had Max Cavalera sing it. He wanted to have a song that sounded like The Obsessed and Motorhead, so had Lemmy and Wino from The Obsessed on it. He like so that that's that's what he did. That's so it's ten songs of that. He wanted to have a song that sounded like Merciful Fate, so he had fucking King Diamond sing on a song. So it's basically wow. his tribute to the music that kind of brought him to the dance and. He was doing this at the height of Foo Fighters pop uh, kind of era, I guess, because like, you know, when, when There's Nothing Left to Lose came out, that was mm -hmm. about as poppy as they've ever gotten. There's some there's obviously some you know heavier and weird stuff on that record, too. But I mean, Learn to Fly or Learning to Fly, that's about as poppy as they get. Yep. And for the video and, you know, it, it was it, it took everything that they were doing on Everlong and like turned it up. 10 times but it still re retained that kind of like that and then times like these on the next record it still retained that kind of quality but it still was as pop as they go he mm -hmm. throws in the probot record in that timeline like dude i need to get back and listen to that one i heard it i think a couple of times and i obviously liked it because i also listened to like heavier stuff yeah. but like i did i didn't do the the homework about it that's insane I mean, it's definitely not for everybody, but I think that a fan, you know, like yourself, who's so into him as as a full artist, not just as like a drummer, but you, I think you appreciate him for every facet that he, everything he brings to the table. Mm -hmm. That's like, it's hearing him, it's hearing one of your music idols dork out on something and that he's letting you into it. And I... Well, that's why he also yeah. did in Sound City. That album yes. and the documentary and the album together is fucking mind-blowing. Totally. And I think he continued it with play. Like, that, that, mm -hmm. that is so fucking cool. That is, like, the ultimate, okay, I'm a studio rat. I'm letting you into my, like, I'm letting you in <laughs> to show you what I do here. And the video behind that was so fucking cool, too. Like, it's like, what's better than having a full band of all Dave girls? Like, <laughs> Dude. That was I. I don't understand when does he sleep because right. it seems like he always does something. I know. He works on like a, ten documentaries and records albums and tours and does interviews and does podcasts and and he has a family. Hey man, so when, and, and when's he, the sleep? Well, I think that he's replaced sleep with barbecue. <laughs> And the barbecue gig, dude. I totally forgot yeah. about that one. Well, Jesus. I, I, I'm not going to go into it too much because I like I talked about it on the Nirvana episode, but when mm. I was working with Lieutenant, so it's Nate Mendel's side project, um, okay. I end up at the at, at the Troubadour, and um, I'm in the back by the bar, uh, in front of the back bar, and r r waiting for Nate to come on. And, um, 
you know, one of the one of the managers comes in and she's like, hey, it's my two favorite motherfuckers or whatever she says. And I was like, two. <laughs> and I look to my right and literally like shoulder to shoulder with me is Dave Grohl. He's the other motherfucker. So I'm like, Jeez. so like, I don't get starstruck that because I like, I have to keep my composure with what I do, but I'm like, he's literally like touching me and I'm like, Jesus oh fucking Christ. God. So like we ended up just the whole band, but Dave really, we spent a lot of time together that night, just kind of like talking about music and like just the nicest, the whole band is completely grounded in reality. And I think insane, insane. How, like not to be a dick about it, but how, like how, how are you like? I was, I was, I used to work in Universal City, like right in front of that big black building, right in front of Universal Studios. And right. This is like in 2010, I think. And I was walking to lunch, the little lot that's right next to it. And so we're walking on, I think that's Lancashire is the street. And you can mm-hmm. take this overpass to go over the one-on-one right there. And then, um, so there's this, there's this old biker dude, like, you know, Picture it, you know, ZZ Top looking motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Sitting, you know, at the light on his fucking Harley. And then Dave Grohl pulls up right next to him. And so we're, oh. just, so we're just like walking to lunch watching this. And they're, they, obviously you can't hear what they're saying, you know, because it's fucking loud and their bikes are on. And then you can see that like he's like he's nodding. Oh, I'm going this way. I live up in the hill, whatever. And then the dude goes and then they just go right off together. They met. Oh at, my god! So they met at the light, decided they wanted to just go ride bikes together, <laughs> and then rode off into the fucking sunset. So cool, dude. He does shit like that. There's like, if if I heard a bunch of stories that if a band got stuck without a drummer, he will come and fill up, like, like a like for teenagers and shit like that. It's oh insane, god. insane to me that a world class fucking rock star does shit like that. So I'm gonna tell you. I just remember this. Okay, so when I was, let's say this was like the late '90s, like '98, '99, okay. and Napster and LimeWire, like that's like you know everyone's like you know yeah. I, I like I use that shit to find B sides, rare tracks, all this shit. And right. I, I found a version of the. I, I have it somewhere. I'll find it and I'll send you the file. Oh, you have to. Dude, the quality shit, that doesn't matter. It's the story. So he's, they're on stage somewhere. I don't know where, again, don't know where it is. I need to search it on YouTube to see if there's a video for this as well. And they want to, we don't know what they're about to do. And he's like, yeah, we're going to, you know, we want to play this fucking song. And they said it, but I couldn't hear what it was. And he goes, you hear him talking to the crowd. And at this point, they're playing probably large theaters, small arenas. And he's Mm -hmm. like, you fucking know it. You know the words. And you can't hear the, the kid. It's a kid. It turns out that it was like a 17-year-old kid. And he's like... Oh, my God. And I remember the last thing he says, he pulls him on stage. He's like, hey. He goes, you're not fucking with me, right? And he goes, no, no, no. And he goes, cool. And they play Carry On Wayward Son. Oh, my God. Because Dave explained that he didn't know any of the verses. He only knew the chorus. So <laughs> he just... He wanted... And the kid knew all the fucking words. And I, I remember hearing that and being like wait, this is insane. This guy, like, that was the first time, like, obviously this is way before all the other things that, like, we know him now as, like, a humanitarian and a good dude and, like, carrying the torch for rock and metal. And But I, that was the first time that I had heard or seen anything like that from him. And it just, I, I will never forget it. Yeah, dude, and now they do it in every show. You had that video of the Kiss guy oh, who yeah. takes over the guitar and plays Monkey Ranch and dude. runs across the stage. That's right. insane, dude. Like, because at this point, right, like, what 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 could go wrong, right? They fuck up the song. Exactly. Who cares? 
Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. So, um, so being so. All right. So let's talk about the Foo Fighters specifically. So, mm-hmm. so we're so your color and the shape and wasting light, which. Uh, is pretty much the same as me, although I think one by one when I'm on, when I'm listening to one by one, that record is just it, 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 it's that's their best record when I'm listening to it. <laughs> if that mm. makes that makes sense, um, especially the way that record ends, it ends so strong. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So in the canon of Foo Fighters, are there songs that you just that you skip that you don't like? Is there something that you really just it doesn't click with you? Well, there's. I'm gonna be super honest. I think there's an album that doesn't quite work, mm. and I think that Sonic Highways for me doesn't quite work as an album. Like I do appreciate the documentary and the writing process and the whole thing that they did state by state, but other than something from nothing, the other songs are a little bit. Uh, They're bloated. Exactly. I, and I, to yeah. prove that, to even prove that, they release an EP right after that, St. So, Cecilia. So good. And it's so good. Which they So good. So I okay, so I feel the same exact way. Um, that record never clicked for me because it was like, okay, cool, you have John Fogarty and Stevie Nicks and all these people. Because that, that came on the heels of the studio documentary. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that okay, this is definitely, they're trying something and, and, and it, it's never been done. And never been done is a cool marketing kind of, it's a cool marketing trick, but it's not. Exactly. But it's, the album kind of suffered for that. There's like, you know, look, the Foo Fighters are fucking incredible, but mm-hmm. them making 10 minute songs isn't really like their forte. And, <laughs> there, and there was some bloat on that record, but the same thing when they put out that EP, which they recorded in this like- Austin. Yes, but it was like in some like gothic mansion front room or something, or was it was it New Orleans or was it Austin? The, it might, you might you might the, be right. the EP the yeah. EP of Saint Cecilia was like a a shack in Austin or right. something like that, dude. So that but the songs are so strong, and that mm-hmm. I I feel like that was them kind of like all right, like let, let's give this to our fans <laughs> and get back on track a little. Bit. Exactly, exactly. They had to fix it. I I think they sensed it that. It, there was like too much effort on Sonic Highways, and they're like, okay, we need to go back to the source. Yeah. And there's, dude, on that EP, there's like Saint Cecilia, which is like a, a normal Foo Fighters hit, but there's some weird shit on that EP. There is. I mean, well, you know? I, I love when they get so fucking heavy, like a white limo. Which, dude. Which, yeah. by the way, that they was opened, the fr- dude. That was they opened with White Limo on that free show. Oh, they God, fucking yeah. opened with White. The the place was on fire, dude. People were tossing each other up in the <laughs> air, dude. Oh my God. Well, how happy does that make? Because like, look, these guys like they, nobody's getting any younger here, right? And, no. <laughs> and, and they're churning out. I mean, that's about as heavy as you're gonna get, even on the fringes of mainstream music. Like mm-hmm. that's heavier than anything that was on Metallica's Black album. Anything, I mean, that's territorial pissings heavy, if not heavier. Exactly. So exactly. Like, that's it. Ta- again, it's probably part of that. Well, I can't. We can't fail mentality, or if we fail, it doesn't fucking matter. But you know, it's like they they really truly. It's the they're the most punk rock. I think he's more punk rock than I think most people give him credit for because he truly does not give a fuck. That is so true, man. I I always said that the Foo Fighters has they have a sense of punk rock in them, you know. Yeah. 
Well, Definitely. I mean, and look, it's like all the DIY shit. Yes, look, they're signed to Silva Management, one of the biggest management firms in the world. It's the, They manage the Beastie Boys, Queens of the Stone Age, Band of Horses, Beck, Ryan. Well, they did manage Ryan Adams. They don't anymore. Um, <laughs> but but I'm saying, but it's like these are some of the biggest artists and most, you know, most successful artists. Jimmy Eat World, like these legendary bands with like mm-hmm. robust, incredible catalogs of music. And the Foo Fighters are like almost in, in a way kind of like the cornerstone of, of the modern era of that management company but at the same time they will build a studio in like dave's garage and record a record to two inch tape and do it and do it all themselves or just bring in an engineer to like handle the shit that they don't know how to do and it's like that's kind of unheard of at their level like imagine that like sean mendez or like a beaver (laughs) and this is not me shitting on them at all like everybody's got their fucking path right but like the closest we're going to get to that is Taylor Swift. That's the closest that pop, that that kind of centralized pop music's ever going to get where she's like, oh, I recorded three records during quarantine. Well, that's really fucking cool. You didn't need to do that and give us that bloated carcass of music you gave us. But like the Foo's really, they really do something special that I think, you know, you, you just dig a little deeper and you see that like, wow, these guys are really like, they really don't give a fuck and they're really just doing whatever they want. And, you know, bringing back Cal jam was such a, that was such a moment in California in 1974 with like Sabbath and Peter Frampton and all this shit. And And then Aerosmith and all that. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I forgot about Aerosmith. Right. And then to bring it back and to make it as a mate, dude, that was a fun day. Mm -hmm. If you can have fun in 110 degree weather, in the middle of nowhere, California, on a bla- <laughs> it's, it was on blacktop. Like it was so fucking hot. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. Hell yeah. And my wife has like allergies to dust and and grass, so Mm-mm. it was a a fun day for her too. Oh, jeez, dude, that sucks. That really sucks. But dude, here's here's a side story. Yeah. Um, we were there, and I really wanted a t-shirt because I get a t-shirt at every concert I go to. Hmm. And we try to go get a T-shirt, and apparently they're all gone because we waited for too long, and like lines were ridiculous. And by the time the lines were done, there was no t- like the the festival T-shirt was gone. Now we were standing pretty close to the stage, right next to where the police was standing, and this police officer saw that we we're like a little bit bummed, and he's like, "What's up?" And we're like, yeah, we wanted to get a T-shirt, but there's, like, nothing fucking left. And he's like, okay, give me a minute. And motherfucker comes back with two T-shirts. Large and medium for me and my wife. Even got the sizes right? (laughs) Even got the sizes right. (laughs) Oh, man, that's... You you love to hear shit like that, you know? It just... Like, to show that there's a little bit of humanity left to people, you know? Just a little bit. Just some, some of them... Some... Some of them are still good from the inside, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that, that's just a side story. For me, honestly, I, I don't think you're going to agree with me because you're a huge Pearl Jam fan, but yeah. for me, the Foo Fighters are probably the best live band right now on the planet because, dude, I've seen them live and every show is different and they go hard for two and a half to three hours and... Dave just, dude, Dave just runs fucking around. Do you remember that he ran with his guitar through the middle of the fucking stadium? Oh, yeah. He goes fucking crazy. And it's like, 
Well, also he drinks like a maniac still, <laughs> and like like he the, like the pre-show ritual for the Foo Fighters is just it's not okay. Like it would <laughs> it would put it would put lesser men in the ground. And I think look and going back to what you just said. I mm-hmm. get it. I because there are so many similarities between. I don't obviously not about the pedigree or the upbringing of of the food. Well, I mean, the pedigree. I shouldn't say that, but not the upbringing of or how they came to be. There, right. there, there are similarities there, but I think modern era of both bands. There's a lot of similarities. Like you're dealing with two drummers that are also frontmen in their own right. That now mm-hmm. have a fucking project together. By the way. Dude, which is did you so hear that track? Did you hear that track they dropped? So good. There's two tracks. They're so good. And the fact that like it's Steve McDonald from the Melvins and Red mm-hmm. Cross on bass and Buzz Osborne from the Melvins on guitar. It's like you got a pretty good fucking band right there. So sick. But like so there's but there's a lot of similarities there too with like, you know, like I think Nate and Je- Nate Mendel and Jeff Ament they they have their styles aren't aren't similar, but they've both made their own solo path and they both are kind of like the soft spoken kind of piece of the group and obviously Dave and the front man, dude. Dave and Eddie are they they're they're icons of, of, you know, of now multiple generations. I think that you can use either band as a gateway band to get somebody into more abstract and heavier music. That is so true, dude. And when Pearl Jam drops tracks, like they have tracks like Comatose or Brain of Jay that are just like a white limo or, um, mm-hmm. fuck, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Or, or like, a, not a lo- yeah, Alone and Easy Target or songs love, that are yeah. just like, so fucking direct like punches to the gut both bands have that shit in their arsenal yep but yeah no, i definitely agree dude it, it's it's so cool to see dude we didn't even talk about tenacious d and the fact that there was <laughs> oh yeah well that video too man that, that's uh that's yeah that was a weird t- i'm telling you man he was really all over the place like in that dude. 2003 to 2006 kind of area he was it was right it was probot tenacious d uh, Queens of the Stone Age, Foo Fighters, then a few, what, like two, three years later, them Crooked Vultures, like he was everywhere. Dude, I actually, I was kind of bummed on the Cal Jam 18 because Tenacious D were playing and I expected Dave to pop up and, and sing that, uh, that song with them, the final battle, like as the devil. That oh, didn't yeah. happen though. Can you imagine if he came out dressed like that? Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God! He should have. He should have. He definitely should. Come on, Dave. Come if on, you're man. listening, if you, if you're not doing enough, buddy. You're slacking. <laughs> no, but man, oh it's 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 like it's just one of those things with him where you know that this is like the last of a dying breed. There's not a lot of people like him. Like I I don't know. Hundred percent. I don't know if the modern music industry is 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 kind of has the 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 structure or the ability to build up somebody that way anymore. You, you know what I'm saying? Like I like I don't. Yeah. Like obviously we can build a rap a rap star, can build a pop star, can build a country star. So it like the the bones are there to do it. I just don't know. I don't know who's gonna be the next of that. Like I I don't see anybody that's going to be that. And maybe that makes me sound old and jaded and I really don't give a fuck. I I'm just... working on it, Rob. One yeah. day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Shit, it's you. <laughs> oh my god. It, but I it, wish, I really wish. I mean, yeah, I wish and I I'm I'm not sure that I wish though because to be in that level, you really have to consider what you're saying 
and I'm an Israeli, so I have to. <laughs> I have so much to say. Right. So for me, just like Kurt, for me, this the safest place will be like in the middle. Yeah, no, I, I, you I, know, I get it, man. But look, I mean, <laughs> D- Dave's pretty vocal about about shit, and I think that you know he's he's been able to ride this line where he's got this respect of people like mm-hmm. El- like Elton John and had the respect of Prince, which is apparently was not easy to get. And, and, but at the same time, all like the, you know, he was really good friends and had the respect of Lemmy, which was not easy to get. And then obviously like, the guys from Led Zeppelin. And it's like, it's just insane what this kid that, you know, joined a band at 19 or 20, what he was able to accomplish and, and, and continues to do like, when I think, and this is not shit. It just sho- it just shows you how amazing of an artist he is. It just shows you. Yes. If he gets that appreciation from like, he can call Paul McCartney to play drums on their album, and then fucking have Zeppelin play with the Foo Fighters in in England, and like, it's just insane. I know the it, amount of respect he he gets. It really is, and I think it's just that's you know. <sighs> I don't even have the words for it. It's fucking cool to see. It's just cool to <laughs> yeah. see. It's cool to see a drummer, because that's what he really still wants to be. I think, you know, where he. I think he's. You're seeing a drummer become like the quintessential frontman, and that's just so mm-hmm. fucking cool. Dude, yeah, definitely. But uh, but man, look, this was awesome. We need to we need to pick another band, do this again at some point. I really I'm, oh, dude, I'm down. I love. Wait, I, yeah. I I remember there's a question that you forgot to oh, ask because yes. I did my homework. There man. is, there is. There I is you know a what? Question. That that's on me. Um, and I and I, and I won't even edit this out because I want everyone to know that I'm an asshole and I fucked this up. There you up. go. What is the sexiest Nirvana or go. Dave Grohl related song? Oof. I mean. The question should be if it's like tender love sexy <laughs> or are we talking about like a fucking strip club stripper music sexy? Well, I think we go with the strip club anthem. Hmm. Wow, that's a tough call, man. Well, what, what would you go for the tender one? Now, now, now I, want, I want to know your tender side. Walking after you. Yeah, that, Easily. Is, that, is, that is the one. Easily. <laughs> That is he, and and also the acoustic version of Everlong probably and that's a good song to make out. It's but, a great uh, <laughs> great tune. It is. It's a great tune. I think for a strip club you can definitely have new new fang, but oh, yeah. the, them crooked vultures. I can see that. Yeah. And actually, dude, shame shame kind of fits in that place too. There's like yeah. kind of like this mysterious vibe to it i can i can see like a burlesque show and they're putting like it's james j by the foo fighters well i think that if you were to do like i oh this is weird like some kind of broadway interpretation of like what it would be to have a strip club in a foo fighters world (laughs) you could do stacked actors Wow, dude! I completely <laughs> forgot about that one. Jesus, because I mean, that I mean, that song is about like what Hollywood and L.A. is. You know, oh, dude, that is so true. I just thought of that too, where I'm like, wow, I, like, I don't want to see anybody stripped to that. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, you know, conceptually, this could really fucking work. Oh my god, yeah, that's dude. a great call. That's but a great but call. I I didn't think you brought up something really good. I didn't think about like bringing in the sensual side, and also like when you talk about. Like them crooked vultures. I mean, look, like 
Josh writes those kind of slinky, sexy riffs. So you're gonna. Oh, he's he's very he's sexy all over the place. Like, like every project he does is just. Yeah. I mean, I think that probably the sexiest modern song in rock music is probably Wanna Make It With You. Dude. Yeah, I know. Dude, when they sang it on Cal Jam, oh. ooh, that was fun. Well, that like, was fun. Because like, there's a version of that song on a Desert Sessions uh Right, with... Uh, with Lanigan. Mark... No, but with... Uh, what's her name? Shit. Um, PJ Harvey. Oh PJ Harvey. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yes. But so like this is now Lanigan doing his best Mark Lanigan impression, or, or, or sorry, Josh Alm doing his best Mark Lanigan impression. And I remember like I had I worked that record. I worked Era Vulgaris. And it no, wasn't you did it. I did. I worked. Oh I wor- my god. I worked uh, Lullabies and Era. And it wasn't until like four or five years later that I'm like, wait, that was Josh. <laughs> that's how fucking convincing it was oh man that song is so good seriously anyway i'm th- gonna listen to it right now yeah dude i'm, I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> listen to it too look man thank you for bringing that up though because i totally spaced that's dude that's that's part of that's part of podcasting i actually just recorded a an episode with my guitarist tyler it's gonna drop uh this tuesday and he hasn't smoked weed for almost a year yeah and we got high, dude. That episode was all over the place. We're laughing. We'll talk like and get like we'll forget about what we're talking and shit like that. <laughs> so that, that, but that's the whole fun about podcasting. You're just having a conversation with a person. It doesn't have to have a structure. It doesn't have to like meet those goals. It's just no. a conversation. We're here to have fun, man. Man, it's so true. And like I like I said this from the from the very beginning, from the jump, that this was a, this was an excuse for me to talk to my friends I haven't been able to see during COVID and then to make new friends, mm-hmm. which I'm definitely succeeding at both of those things. <laughs> but at the same time I didn't realize until like there's an episode that that'll be out by the time this one comes out. Um with my buddy Mark and he he made me realize that I'm literally working my way around the dinner table when a group of my buddies get together whenever I'm in New York. And I didn't even think yeah. about that. Like I'm literally like, Oh shit, I did Austin and then Jason and now Mark and I'm going to do one with Dave and then I'm going to have Jade on. I'm like, Holy <laughs> shit. And then, Oh, and Zena who was on for, for Deftones. And it's like, I really am making my way around this fucking table. Like this is like the most predictable thing ever. But I love that. I love that. Like, this is literally like this conversation when this is all said and done, you and I will be having this conversation at like Burgundy room. Mm-hmm. So Burgundy room, please stay open. <laughs> I lo- love you so much. This is shitty as fucking bar in LA and I love it. Please. All the places yes, stay open. Please, please. Except for, for, uh, Newsom's vineyard. We can close that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like frolic room, Burgundy room, all those places. Like, oh my God. Yeah. They, you, you guys need to keep it going. Well, dude, I am so thankful that we got to do to trade and do this. Uh, I'd love to be back on with you. I'd love to have dude, you. Dude, I'm thankful for you. This this was amazing. And I'm obviously going to have you on my podcast again because yeah. we can talk for hours. 100%. You know? <laughs> totally. And I like I can't, like I said, when this is over, we can actually like be real life friends and get together yeah. and fucking hang. Follow Erez at I am Erez B on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, see you next T-Pod. So it's C-U-N-E-X-T-T-P-O-D. And then his band, Utero the Band, at Utero the Band. Erez, thank you so much for being on, man. I really appreciate it. And Dude, thank you so much. I love you. Yeah, I love appreciate you. you. Love you too, brother. And uh, thank you for listening to the Grossed Out Podcast. We'll see you soon.